Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. I'm a boarded social worker in the state of California. And I'm a veterinary social worker. Yeah. And so I'm excited because Chelsea works at one of the hospitals that I, that I work with and um, she's done some amazing things and we're trying to, trying to make it. So all of our hospitals have it because we all know (laughs) we could use some social workers in our hospitals. So I figured I would reach out to you and you graciously said, yes, thank you, by the way, um, to talk about some some social worky kind of things in veterinary space. Mm. Um, and I think we were talking about kind of, and, and for just correct me if I'm wrong, we, we were talking about some caregiver fatigue and just some stress in general yeah, <laughs> and some, yeah. some happy fun stuff. And I was like, who better to talk about it than you? Because, you know, that's what you do. Yeah. You know. Um, so just really quick, just a, couple of housekeeping before we jump right into it. So um, just a reminder in December, we're doing internal medicine for vet techs membership. We're doing our monthly CE on December 10th, 2022, in case you're listening in the future. Um, We're going to be talking about increasing career satisfaction. So that'll be a fun combo. And if you want to join it, uh, you can do that. If you are a member, it's one of your free CEs. If you're a non-member, you can always join. There is a fee, but we can apply it to the membership if you decide to join. Otherwise, we I think the plan is we are going to get this one race approved, but it may be a little bit before it is officially approved. We're going to work on that. And uh, yeah. All right, Chelsea, you, you good to go? Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. I guess like where like how did you even find this space because I find it <laughs> yeah. fascinating because it's still super new mm-hmm. um and so how did you how did you end up where you are now <laughs> yeah great question um I worked with children and families for over 10 years mm. and I thought that was kind of my career path and then I learned about veterinary social work yeah because social workers don't even realize um that it's a field of social work. And when I learned about it, I was like, this is it. I want in. Like mm. from my personal experience with the human animal bond, it's like personal and professional actions yeah. aligning. And so I applied and got a job for a three hospital emergency and specialty group in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area. Mm. Um, and I was there in 2019 and 2020 and 2021. And then I learned about um, the opportunity for my current role, which is to start a veterinary social work program and build the program here. Yeah. that And, and I remember, remember leading up to it, um, the, the doctor who was kind of really just like championing it. They were so excited about it, about mm-hmm. the idea. And I think just having seen some of the differences between like the hospital that you're at before and after it, it is amazing what a difference it is. And I think Jordan and I, we've talked about it previously. Like, even if you're a smaller place, like getting, 
you know, maybe getting a couple of clinics together and finding a social worker that'll, that'll help Mm -hmm. work because it realistically, you know, most small general practices aren't going to be able to hire a full-time social worker, but I don't know. It's a, I think it's going to be one of those things in the future. I'm hoping that is super common because it's just amazing the difference. And, and it's, it's the difference between with the clients as well as like the, the staff, which is super cool. Yeah. Yeah. So there are mobile veterinary social workers that can do like um, more specific contracts that aren't maybe embedded full-time, but they're available for smaller hospitals. So there's definitely um, resources out there. That's cool. Do you know how people would find that? Like, Mm -hmm. do you search it or is there like, um, (laughs) I'm like, is there a group of people? (laughs) You could ask me. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. We can get in touch and I'll connect you with people. Okay. Um, It is kind of a small group. It's growing. Yeah. um, It's a network and we tend to all know of each other. (laughs) Yeah. And I kind of, you know, we've, we've talked previously like of technicians who, you know, you get to a certain point and some people do burn out Mm -hmm. um, and want to change it, but they don't want to leave veterinary medicine altogether. And there are people who have a passion for, you know, psychology and, and all this, like the human animal bond. And honestly, like this is kind of one of those up and coming fields that you could totally get into it and do some amazing stuff, which I think would be, yeah, that's, that's another way to not completely leave vet med, but make a huge difference, I think Mm -hmm. too. So, Mm -hmm. um, so we'll, we'll put your contact info somewhere. And and if anybody wants to, to check that out, cause I think, I think that's going to be, it's going to be huge. So mm-hmm. cool. All right. Let you dive in and I'll just randomly listen and ask questions. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in my role, I am like embedded in the team in the hospital. So part of the multidisciplinary team, I bring my social work perspective, but I'm like right there in it with the doctors, with the mm. technicians. And I do work with our IM teams um, a fair amount. Um, I get really good consults for them so they can refer me to become involved and then provide support and resources to the clients who are maybe um, stressed, understandably, or emotionally charged or struggling with decision-making or needing some resources, you know, those are, it's really kind of in addition to all of the care the team is already providing. It's Mm. ancillary kind of on top of, but also can free up the team's load because I can focus on, you know, the emotions and the stress of caregiving for a lot of our medicine families. Yeah. I, I, (laughs) having dealt with that for many years. Yeah. I, I think that I think people forget in internal medicine how much I say handholding, but like helping guide them through a lot of the decisions and, and, and not, and that's the thing, like we can't make the decisions for them and we have to give them the space to work it out. And because a lot of times these are major life choices, right? Like it's, it's a lot of money. Plus it's usually not something that's fixed right away. So we're talking long-term medical stuff with these patients Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, yeah, I can, I can imagine I I did a lot of, did a lot of talking (laughs) when when I was working with these patients. So 
I can imagine that is huge for the the medicine teams. And I, I would guess like oncology too would be another mm-hmm. one yeah. or neuro mm-hmm. cardio, you know, all the specialties. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, a lot of listening. I mean, it's a lot of clients just like kind of organizing their own thoughts mm-hmm. and if I, cause I have the capacity to like hold space and listen actively mm. and typically they can get there on their own. They just need to be that able to listening work it out. Yeah. yeah. And to work it out. Yeah. 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 And it's funny. Cause like my emergency, um, coworkers would always be like, Oh, it's the medicine clients. <laughs> and I'm like, well, we're used to like having to like process everything so yes sometimes they're really talky (laughs) yeah (laughs) totally now I just want to work in a hospital where you work because this sounds amazing (laughs) because then I could do all my tech stuff (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes yep totally so I think we were going to talk because it kind of goes along with this because we are internal medicine based Mm -hmm. right so just that long-term you know because the emotional toll slash roller coaster yeah. <laughs> that comes with that. Yeah. So I think that was going to be something we were going to focus on too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because our clients, the fatigue can be very real. Like caregivers are always walking this delicate line. On one hand, they're so selfless and really mm-hmm. strong, like they're doing so much mm-hmm. for their loved ones, for their pets. And on the other hand, they're like exhausted and can be so stressed and kind of overwhelmed and can spend a really long time trying to find that balance while they walk that line. Yeah. And I think it's hard to, I know that I've, I've definitely heard this from clients and I've experienced it myself where friends and family don't always understand. They're like, Mm -hmm. why are you doing this? It's just a dog. It's just a cat. And you're like, but they're like family members. And so sometimes it's hard because they, they do feel that isolation too, versus like, if it was a family member you were taking care of, they'd be like, well, of course you're taking care of that family member. So, well, human family member. (laughs) Yes. It can be really lonely. And there's people who don't get it, who are maybe Mm. invalidating, or you can feel their judgment. And I don't know why with pets, sometimes it feels like people have more opinions and they're like Mm. unsolicited giving opinions, which is not always helpful for the caregiver who really just needs support and validation. Oh my God. That's so true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I know another thing that you were talking about is like the warning signs Mm -hmm. um, of fatigue. Like, so what if, I guess both for yourself, because a lot of times we're checking ourselves. Um, but also just like, if you know, like your clients, right? Like we internal medicine, because we do see our clients frequently and then general practice also Mm -hmm. sees them, you know, how can we see that sign of fatigue? And I don't know if there's really much we could like, I don't know with clients, you know, I don't know how we can tactfully (laughs) give like nuggets <laughs> to, yeah, you know, not unsolicited advice, but maybe some, right. Right. Some, some support. here's some, here's some support. <laughs> I think, you know, when you hear that fatigue coming up, when you hear, or, or you see changes where a person 
you know, is just having that overwhelming fatigue. Um, mm. Maybe even their feel their feelings change, like their affect, they might feel more hopeless. And then another warning sign is they're neglecting their needs. So their quality of mm. life is decreasing. So even like their physical needs that decrease in self-care, um, difficulty with kind of the day-to-day is something we see like daily tasks mm. or um, eating or sleeping. Sleeping is a big one. Ooh, yeah. um, and part of that can come with caregiving, like depending on symptoms that can definitely be really stressful, but it also can be um, related to that decline in self-care and the stress of it all. Yeah. I know I've definitely, you know, over the years seen some of those clients that you kind of notice that you're like, how, how are you doing? You know, and we, and we develop that relationship with those clients because they're infrequently. And it's, I've had clients tell me, oh, I don't sleep because I just like look at my pet and I'm like, you know, are they still alive? And, yeah. and you're like, okay. <laughs> and yeah. it's hard because, you know, it's 24 seven. It's not like they can go home from work and turn it off. It's they're at, that's, that's their at home mm-hmm. <laughs> space. So I've had clients I've, we've talked through and made a plan for them to sleep in a different room mm-hmm. than the pet. And maybe the pet has slept with them their whole lives, which is a really difficult change, but it turns out if with the separation of the rooms, they're both sleeping better <laughs> oh, at night. So, yeah. you know, sometimes we can tailor our advice and be creative to make sure people are getting their needs met. That's a really good point. That that totally makes sense, actually. You know, <sighs> oh, yay. Coming up with creative ideas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the other thing we talked about is the different types of stresses. Mm-hmm. Um because there's so many, yeah. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's so many when it comes to pay, you know, caring mm-hmm. for our, our pets. So, mm-hmm. um, what are some of them and like, how do you, how, how can they help identify and also realize that it's normal? I think yeah. that's, that's a big part too, is like, I feel yeah. like they get, they get that stress and then they feel guilty mm-hmm. and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a hundred percent part of this. So okay. And then we can, you know, when we're seeing what type of stress they're experiencing, we can normalize, like you said, like, Mm -hmm. um, really just saying lots of people go through this. I hear that all the time. That's Mm -hmm. really normal. And then we can kind of make sure our support matches what people are going through. Financial stress is a huge one that people experience. You know, money is a factor, like resources, (laughs) are typically limited and that is a reality and you know it's a huge reality in veterinary medicine that's for sure mm-hmm. and so I'll talk with clients about um, kind of the cost of things and it can be you know the equipment the diagnostics medications and sometimes it's like this cleaning supplies or the puppy pads, like it all adds up for some of these families over time. Um, And then the same thing with end of life care finances can play a role. And so I try and empower people and just have really supportive, honest conversations about where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I know that 
I've heard this from clients too, right? Like they get to that point with the financial part of it and it's, they don't want to make the end of life choice, but they're like, I, I, I can't afford to keep escalating. Cause it's not, mm-hmm. <laughs> not like hospice gets cheaper right, <laughs> the exactly. further along it goes. And yeah. so I think I, I've definitely had those conversations with clients that are like, it's not wrong to have mm-hmm. that, that discussion and that thought mm-hmm. process and be like, you know, it's the quality of life of both of you. Like you yes. can't, like, you can't just be like one or the other. Yes. Um, yeah. So finance, I can, I can definitely see that. And especially if they don't have like insurance or, mm-hmm. you know, all that. And so yeah. I, I know one thing I used to do is like, especially with like a newly diagnosed, whatever, um, I would, ha- I would try to start that conversation and be like, you know, have a conversation now about like, what are your limits as far as finances go? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's harder to make that choice <laughs> when yeah. you're in the thick of things yes. versus like, okay, we're going to start now. Like, what are like, what's your yearly limit? What's your monthly limit? And, you know, oh, it's not the that. fun conversation, but yeah, <laughs> yeah it but helps. it just puts it out there rather than it being like, in the shadows or Mm -hmm. it's, you know, everyone's thinking about it anyway. So let's talk about it in a really, you know, um, supportive way in a really non-judgmental, um, realistic way. Yeah. Yeah. And especially the non-judgmental. Yes, totally. So financial stress and then emotional stress, it can be that roller coaster. Um, there can be that isolation that we talked about, um, you know, who is like secretly judging me, who is understanding what I'm going through. And then kind of connected to that is, you know, you feel it's harder to reach out, Mm. um, which kind of creates the vicious cycle of isolation. Um, Asking for help is a huge strategy that I talk to clients about, like, who are your non-judgmental listeners that you can lean on for emotional support and also like logistical support, like who can be your respite provider? Who can, Mm. how can you use people so that you can take a break? Breaks are so huge when we're trying to not become overly fatigued. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like who's, who's your person that can come over and just like spend time with your pet. So you and your significant other can just go have dinner outside of the house. (laughs) Exactly. Or go away for the weekend, which is huge. Um, yes. Or even for a day, you know, and just give you that break from yep. the intensive care that some of these, some of these patients yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. That goes, I mean, it's definitely like your financial, emotional, all that goes with the mental, mm-hmm. mental fatigue, mm-hmm. which also yeah. goes with like sleeping. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They're all, there's like layers and they're interconnected. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, mental stress. There's so much problem solving that comes with Ooh, these cases. Like yeah. you're kind of always at decision-making crossroads. It can feel like, and you're like mm. figuring things out a lot. So that can be part of the fatigue is that mental fatigue. Um, yeah. Same with assessing quality of life, like assessing quality of life takes up a lot of mental space. Yeah. Um, And that's part of the support I provide is helping people think through that and have tools to make those decisions and assess where they're at. Yeah. I love using the quality of life scales just Mm -hmm. to, it, it makes it a smidge easier because it's, Mm -hmm. it's kind of subject, 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's mostly subjective, but, but it gives you like some place to like start that conversation and, and, you know, and, and I, and I like using them to, you know, when they're not in crisis situations, but, um, you know, just be like, okay, so where are your limits? Cause everybody says, oh, when they stop eating and I'm like, okay, that's one, but it's like, I've seen, I've seen patients like eat on their deathbed and I'm like why are you still eating you know but yeah having that conversation of like you know of these different scales like which which ones are your hard limits and and it gives you a little bit easier place to have that conversation and yeah having those tools I think I think giving clients all the tools they can use is good (laughs) yeah quality of life consults are actually my favorite oh (laughs) Um, nice because they are so nuanced and they're Mm -hmm. so individual to the pet and the family. Um, And they're a little trickier clinically and I like the challenge (laughs) of it. (laughs) And you can hear some relief when people get more information and Mm. they feel, yeah, just not as alone and validated. Do you have good resources for like technicians to, to give like some quality of life information. Cause yeah. I feel like internal medicine, we're always, that's like, that's our big goal is, is to make sure that they have good quality of life. Um, yeah. and so you, okay, cool. Do you want to share them or do you want to put them in the show notes? We what, could put them in the show notes. All yeah. right, cool. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. And then the last stress you have on your list is physical stress. Yeah. I mean, we did talk about sleep. That's a huge one, Mm. but also pets that need physical assistance. Like it can be very hard on our bodies to constantly pick up or constantly help with mobility. And then just the emotional, you know, stress impacting our bodies. Like you said, it's all kind of connected. Yeah. And I've seen, especially, well, and I think maybe this this could be the area that I live too. I feel like the people that are more inclined to do the the lots of internal medicine stuff are usually older clients, mm-hmm. right? Because they feel more financially secure, so they feel yeah. like they can do more. Yeah. But then they also have their own physical limitations, yeah. and like if, especially if they have a large dog or yep. something else. Um, and so there are those physical yep. constraints that really play into it. Um, you know, like we've had a couple of them. It's like, well, my, my husband went into the hospital. So now what do mm-hmm. I do with, you know, and you're just like, well, mm-hmm. how do we yeah. support that? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I can definitely see that. And we talk, I mean, we talk about, you know, the harnesses and mm. even ramps, you know, again, yeah. being creative to what they need. Yeah. Getting, and well, and this is another place too, that if you have like if you do have hospice in your area, right. Cause mm-hmm. there are some veterinary hospice, mm-hmm. they can help with some of that. Yes. Or there's, you know, veterinary technicians that, that yep. do house calls and stuff like that. So that's all, all stuff where, you know, thinking outside of the box, like not yep. just being like, it has to be the primary clinic that's dealing with all this. Like we can give them totally. support from like the community if that's available too. So Ooh, I like, I like this next one, caring for the caregiver, managing the fatigue and self-stewardship. I love self-stewardship. That's a really cool word actually. So, so what, what are some tips you've got there? Yeah. Self-stewardship. I'm trying to use this language a little bit more because it's kind of the next step up from self-care mm. because self-stewardship is like, you have to know 
what's happening. You have to know yourself mm. and have some reflection and then do the care to yeah. get what you need. Um, but really it does come down to our quality of life, you know, mm-hmm. in addition to our pet's quality of life, there's so much talk about um, the patient's quality of life, but also, you know, we need to think of our own needs mm-hmm. and think about kind of holistically the whole picture. Like there's, there can be other responsibilities at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, we have seasons of life where we have a lot of work demands at our job, maybe, or parenting or maybe yeah. other pets, you know, there's, there can be multiple stressors and different obligations and that all plays a part <laughs> in yeah. what we need. And that doesn't diminish love for your pet. Like that mm. doesn't take away from the care and all that you've already done. I think when people have many competing priorities, then they can have that guilt. Mm. But I try and gently remind people, you know, you, you're doing the best you can for them. You've done so much for them yeah. and you need to be honest and we need to know our limits. That yes. <laughs> yeah. Knowing our limits is huge. <laughs> As, as uh, pet owners and pet professionals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I try not to be um, hypocritical. And right. we, all, we all need to internalize this as well as share it with our clients. And what a great way we can model it for our clients. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I like this one, nurturing yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Which, I mean, it, it's hard because I think... Um, when we very first started talking about like well-being, well-being for veterinary professionals, like that was the first thing that everybody talked about. I'm like, well, that's, that's kind of the easy one, but it's easy to talk about, but not always easy to implement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So what are some, some ways that you, what are some strategies you can give to like clients and us? Cause we may as well learn from it as well. So, I mean, taking breaks is a huge thing with nurturing yourself, like don't forget about you because we get so busy taking care of others. So setting aside time, even if it's an hour or two, um, this isn't like a bonus extra luxury. It's actually a necessity. Yeah. Um, and it can be, it can be the basics, you know, like sleep and exercise movement, whatever kind of movement feels good for you. And, um, eating nutrients, hydration. Um, yeah. and again, kind of knowing what you need because self-care will change day to day, week to week, um, season of life. So it comes down to kind of knowing what you need and then taking a break and, and doing it. Yeah. And I remember you did like this really cool presentation on setting boundaries. Like that's mm-hmm. all, like, that was such a good but that was a, that was a great CE that we, we had. Um, and I think part of that, like, you know, in, in that self-stewardship too, is like knowing, knowing where your capacity level is, mm-hmm. because some days you're at a hundred percent capacity and some days you're like at 75 or 50, yeah. um, yeah. and being able to know that. And I love it. Set the boundaries and and say, I can't today. Like, it's okay. This I might be I able to in the future, but I can't right now. Yeah. Um, and it's okay to say no. <laughs> we technicians yes. especially are really bad at saying no to things 
<clears throat> just <laughs> just putting that out there, guys. <laughs> um, and I love this one too, is like focus on what you can control. I like that. That's yeah, huge. I um, do a lot of reminding clients that like illness is no one's fault. <laughs> right. You know, mortality exists, you know, separate mm. from us. And sometimes there's silver linings in caregiving. Like mm. our love can become, it can grow even more, mm. you know, in that caregiving role. And you can grow a lot and learn a lot from what you're going through. Um, yeah. We see bonds, like the human animal bond, we see the bond um, become even more special with mm. some of the caregiving. So what can you control? Um, focus on that <laughs> more yeah. than what you can't. And then sometimes it's okay to, to look for those silver linings too. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. Um, yeah. And, and that, that deepening, that richening, richening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the right word. Richening of the bond. I think that's, I think when that happens to like clients, as hard as it is, it makes it worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, and can make, you know, that final decision of, you know, are we, are we at the euthanasia stage? It can make it easier and harder. Like there's, it's easier because you're like, look, these are, this is where, this is everything we've done. And we have done everything that we can like Mm -hmm. emotionally, physically, whatever, Mm -hmm. financially, Mm -hmm. Um, and we provided that care that we couldn't have. And so it, in that sense, it's easier, but then there's like that guilt of being like, (laughs) which that's a whole other (laughs) anticipatory grief and everything. So yeah. Yeah. I like it. I I like knowing what you're capable of and nurturing yourself and focusing on what you can control. That's definitely. Ooh, I like this. So your support groups, like who are, who are your support peeps? Um, And not being afraid to ask for help, mm, you know, because sometimes we try to manage everything on our own and then we are so drained and then we kind of are depleted and left with nothing. So anytime we can talk about our feelings, talk about our frustrations, and then also accepting help. Um, like we said, even a temporary break. Yeah. It's actually, it's funny as you're talking about that. Um, I remember this last year (laughs) I went to a conference for a week and I like had to write out everything that I did for our, for our geriatric cat who's in hospice at that point. And (laughs) my husband was like, what? And I'm like, yes, this is what I do every day. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it hit me. I'm like, I could probably ask for some help. (laughs) And it's like, we forget because we're like, we're the veterinary professionals. We do it day in and day out. It's okay to ask your significant other (laughs) Mm -hmm. to help with things. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause my husband was like, at the end of the week, he was like, I don't, I don't even know how you do it. He's like, I missed stuff because I just couldn't get it done. And he's like, and I was like, it's fine. <laughs> Nobody's dying. I'm like, yeah, it's totally fine. And he was like, oh, so yeah. Having remembering you can reach out to people even in your household. 
I love that you had that pause and you're like, wait, this is a lot. (laughs) And I can delegate some. Yeah. 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 Um, Ooh, and talking to a professional. This one, Mm -hmm. I I think people really forget this one. Mm -hmm. Definitely a huge benefit of veterinary social work and the social worker um, to refer clients to, but um, you know, therapists or counselors or even clergy at churches, you know, they're trained mm. to counsel people who have a wide range of needs. So something to remind people to have mm. that kind of neutral outside um, perspective and support. Yeah. Do you, and, and this, I don't, I don't know if this exists. It may or may not. Do you have like, um, do you have like client handouts that like, or yeah, so you have that in clinics. Is yeah, that we, something that you did or is it like, I don't know, think of like aha pamphlets or something, but I don't know if something like that exists. Yeah, we have a um, quality of life handout. I have a separate anticipatory grief handout and partly due to preparing for our talk today <laughs> and based on a few families I worked with recently, we're creating a caregiver handout. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool. But like currently, cause okay, this is a random part of this conversation, I guess. Cause is there like, um, is there like a veterinary social work group? Like, I, I, I don't know how to explain this. Mm-hmm. Like, is there a one stop like an academy for veterinary social work, but it's not an academy, but yeah. something. There is um, a program. There's one certificate program in the U.S. at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Okay. Um, so social workers can get their master's degree specializing in veterinary social work, or other professionals can go get the certificate out mm. of the veterinary social work program. Interesting. Um, so University of Tennessee, definitely their website has some really great stuff. And oh, okay. Um, there's also a listserv that's a pretty great email group and you can sign up through the University of Tennessee. Oh, oh we're going to have to put these references. <laughs> yes. In the yeah, show notes. I, yeah. Cause I just think of like, you know, like AHA has like some amazing handouts on all sorts mm-hmm. of things. So it's like, and, and I know clinics will use those. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'd be nice to have like some of that yeah. somewhere. So all right, I'm about to check out the University of Tennessee. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the other part, <laughs> this is huge for caring for our caregiver, is accepting our feelings, mm-hmm. whatever they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, accepting feelings, including frustration or anger. It doesn't mean you're a bad person or a bad pet parent or a bad caregiver if you have those frustrating moments. Mm. Um, we really want to feel all the feelings and allow ourselves to feel all the emotions and know that they're normal. You know, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to say, this is hard. I'm struggling. You know, this is difficult. It's all very human, (laughs) very normal to feel overwhelmed or worried or guilty or all of the stress that we talked about. Yeah. And I feel like, um, especially, especially in the very beginning of like some of this caregiving stuff, right? Like you're so overwhelmed trying to like, you just learn about this disease and, and now you're having to do all these treatments that you've never done before. And so it can be 
you know, frustrating both for yourself and I'm sure for your pet being like, what, what are you doing to me? Um, and sometimes it's okay to be like, all right, that didn't happen. Instead of me trying to murder my animal (laughs) or them trying to murder me, let's take a step back and just regroup. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes like we, in, especially in the middle of it, like we forget to be like, oh, this is what's happening, mm-hmm. right? Because like our pets will respond to how we're getting. Yeah. Like if they keep spitting out the pill and you're getting yeah. angry because they're spitting it out, like everybody's ramping yeah. up. We just take a step yeah. back, <laughs> take a moment to breathe, try again mm-hmm. later. And you do figure out kind of your own coping. You know, sometimes that's like mm-hmm. lightening up. <laughs> sometimes that's <laughs> using humor um sometimes that's finding those silver linings and trying to accentuate the positive um yeah but above all just having that self-compassion and not being too hard on ourselves um yeah and accepting feelings yeah that's huge yeah yeah the next big part of this is how to kind of how to talk to clients and coworkers to you, mm-hmm. right? And prevent as much of the mm, heightened mm-hmm. emotions, I guess, is, is kind of a good way mm-hmm. to say it. Um, to be able to understand that this is all kind of part yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to go through right. it. A lot of it you all are already doing. <laughs> like, to, you know, give yourselves yeah. a lot of credit for, you know, I see so much <laughs> strong communication with our teams, with each other and with clients and having really clear explanations, really clear expectations. Um, You gave a few examples of where you're kind of proactive in um, setting expectations. I really like conceptually thinking about a shared decision-making model for the plan of care. That's actually a social Mm. work um approach but i think it works really good in vet med with beginning where the client is at and making sure to build rapport and making sure to see where they're at before they make decisions Mm. yeah because our clients they definitely are i don't think any two clients are the same like they all come into it in very different places like some people have super medical knowledge and some have no medical knowledge and in all the other parts of that in between, right? And they are the decision makers. I mean, we definitely, that doesn't take away from our expertise and what we're Mm. offering, but we need to, whenever we focus on partnership, it's usually more efficient. Mm. Like we usually get further um, because we're focusing on where they're at. That's, that's a huge, huge part of it. Like that, it's kind of funny because I think, I think if we can build that partnership and then have, you know, they can ask us questions, we can help guide them through the process, you know, making sure we give them as much information as they're requesting and sometimes a little bit more Um, versus like, I know with like, just another side note, like when I was doing a lot of stuff with my dad, it was like, they were just telling me a bunch of stuff, but it was never like the so what, you know, what, and I was like, what, this is the weirdest, yeah. <laughs> this is the weirdest yeah. scenario I've ever been in. This is like huge medical stuff. Like, why isn't there more of a dialogue? Yeah. And 
and it it is hard, especially especially in our current veterinary climate, mm-hmm. right? Time is precious, mm-hmm. and being able to carve out that time to be present in that conversation too is it's hard. It it really can be really hard. And um, I love that you talked in the very beginning about having that consultation and being able to have that time. Mm-hmm. Cause that's huge. I mean, that's, that's how you build that rapport and build the partnership, which not everybody can, um, which is poopy. <laughs> I just like to remind so. people that it, it is efficient. It's not just, um, feel good like it's not just the social worker saying this um it also can help us like get to decision making faster um yeah when we have really strong active reflective listening uh, and people feel heard they usually can move forward more quickly that's it that's a huge point that's huge yeah I also wanted to shout out, um, and we could maybe offer this, is the Serious Veterinary Illness Conversation Guide. This is Dr. Catherine Goldberg's work. Um, Okay, I've heard of her. She's a um, DVM and a social worker. So she's a veterinary social worker. Yeah, and a DVM. And I really like this guide. Um, It was modified from human health care. And it's, you know, if you if you want some structure to some of these conversations, it's a really great tool to reference. Cool. And what's it called? The serious veterinary illness conversation guide. Nice. Yeah. We can definitely put that in the notes too, because I think that's having, sometimes having all those Mm -hmm. pieces in your, in your tool Mm -hmm. chest is is awesome. (laughs) Um, lastly with supporting, um, client specifically is thinking about finances like anytime we can you know maybe there is a generic medication that costs less or maybe there are reusable items instead of disposable maybe there are human versions that are less expensive um you know just keeping that in mind i know again there's a lot of this you already are doing um but just something (laughs) to keep in mind anytime we can do that. Um, it's great. Yeah. I was gonna say the other part of that too, is like diagnostics, Mm -hmm. right. You know, do we really need to run the full Mm -hmm. chemistry or do we just need like a PCV Mm -hmm. or a glucose and maybe looking at, you know, which diagnostics are going to give us the information we need, but for the least expensive price, especially if you've got long-term stuff. Right. And and client, especially our long-term clients, they're not going to, most of the times they're not going to say anything. They're just like, oh, this is part of it. And I know that, and I know it's expensive versus like, you know, do we really need to do it that frequently? Can we maybe push it out a week or can we, you know, and that's, that's where you have that partnership, mm-hmm. right? Between the doctor, the technician and the, and the pet owner and be like, okay, well, what, where are we at? Because finances can change. right? Like they could be hospitalized, spend a ton of money. And then a month later, somebody got laid off or, you know, and the, and it, and it can change. So have making sure we leave that space for them to be able to express Mm -hmm. that too. Right. Like, because I've definitely had clients be like, well, I don't want to say anything, but, and I'm like, oh no, we totally can work with that. Like, just let us know. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, 
that's also really important (laughs) and then lastly um which I feel like I've said a lot this whole time is just that normalizing (laughs) validating you know humanizing being reassuring just goes a really long way yeah yes yeah because again that that feeling of isolation and then once you express like I mean, for me, I, and I would do this because I, you know, I had a page or my pet had Evans. So internal medicine nightmare, but it was, it was a, it was a huge difference when I started talking to clients and I opened up to them and been like, look, I totally know where you're at right now. This is a hundred percent normal. I was like, and, and it's going to be a roller coaster ride. And so being able to like express to them, like how normal it is, like that really like there was a difference. Like people were like, Oh, okay. This isn't, I'm not the only person to have ever experienced this. And so, yeah, I, I normalizing is huge. <laughs> yeah. 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 hundred percent. This sounds so basic but it just makes such a difference, which is listening <laughs> and, and, listening. and reflective listening, like, just try it, just try and say, you know, what I hear you saying is it sounds like before you go mm. on to your agenda, like, I know we will get to the points we need to get to. You will just be amazed how, how much more receptive people are. It's the tip of the week. Brief reflective statement. Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, and that's a really good reminder because especially with how busy things are is to be in that moment. And, and cause we all know what it feels like when somebody is not even remotely <laughs> listening to what yeah. we're saying and it's frustrating. And then you start repeating yourself because you're like, I, you don't sound like you're listening to me and you get frustrated. So yeah, I definitely can see that the reflection and just making sure that they know Yes, I'm present in this moment. So, you know, don't think about like all the spays and neuters and next appointments yep. and <laughs> as much as we want to. <laughs> um, how about question of I guess if there's any other mm. strategies out there that we didn't cover, anything else that you found mm. Yeah, anything else that people yeah. find works well. That's a that's a good one. I like that one. Sweet. And now for the question of the week. How people mm-hmm. contact you in case they have mm-hmm. questions. We'll put some of the other resources that that you um, talked about, which is cool. So exciting. Um, anything else you can think of? you want to throw into this episode? I'm just so grateful to have um, had this talk and yeah, it's a privilege and an honor to work alongside my people. I feel like I found my people in veterinary medicine and (laughs) um, I find these types of talks really rejuvenating. So thank you. Well, thank you very much for coming because I think this is, I think these topics are still so new Mm -hmm. for, for everyone. Um, and I, and it excites me to see like where this is going to go in the future, because I think this really is 
kind of the next step to to push our industry forward yeah. to um because it's all about I don't know, proficiency mm -hmm. and, and, you know, working collaboratively mm -hmm. and, and providing a really good service, have, providing a really good service yeah. and having sustainability in the field. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks Chelsea. Thank you. <laughs> and then if you guys have questions, let us know. I can always forward stuff on to Chelsea too, and then have a great week. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. And, you know, working collaboratively mm -hmm. and. And providing a really good service. Have, providing a really good service yeah. and having sustainability in the field. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Chelsea. Thank you. <laughs> and then if you guys have questions, let us know. I can always forward stuff on to Chelsea too. And then. Have a great week and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.